Well, good morning, Hope State Church. How are you all this morning? Everybody doing all right? It's a great day to be here. I am so excited that you decided to join us. This is our final week of the series that we've been in called The Moral of the Story. And I am honored to be able to wrap up this series. My name is Katie. I am one of the pastors here. And if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after service. But uh, this series, we have taken the month of July, the last four weeks, to just pull out some of the parables that Jesus told and just see what it's all about. See what um, he was trying to tell us today. And um, we actually see that there are 36, uh, three dozen parables in the Gospels, depending on who you ask. And, uh, and uh, most of them are like less than 250 words, but they are full of amazing truth, amazing truth within Omen. Um, Jesus spoke in parables every time he went in public, and he did this because of two reasons. The first one was because it was prophesied that he would. Uh, in Psalm 78, it says, I will come and I will speak in parables. So he was fulfilling that prophecy. But the second reason was to give us more understanding. He wasn't trying to confuse anyone or condemn anybody, but he wants us to be curious and excited and have a new insight. So he used parables to do that. And week one, we started with the parable of the mustard seed, where we looked and saw that like a single moment can have an eternal impact and how we all want to have an impact that outlives us. But it starts with one single moment in our life, one single prayer, one single invitation to church, one single conversation can have an eternal impact. And week two, Pastor Joe uh, talked about uh, the, uh, the parable of the impure heart and how God wants us to have a clean and pure heart. And sometimes that starts with asking the right question asking the right question. And last week, Pastor Megan uh, talked to us about the wheat and the weeds and how God sees things differently than we do. And today I am going to talk about the parable of new wineskins. And this parable shows up in three of the four gospels, but I'm going to read specifically out of the gospel of Luke. It's in Luke chapter five, starting verse 33. So if you have your Bibles, Go ahead and get that out. Um, there should be some in the seats in front of you as well. But if you don't have a Bible, uh, there is up on the screen, or if you prefer the screen, it's right behind me. No big deal. So we are in verse 33 of Luke chapter 5. It says, One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast, and they pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with their groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Verse 36. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks old wine seems to want the new wine. The old wine is just fine, they say. See, Jesus shows up and he's doing things in a new way. And it's kind of throwing people off. And people are asking questions like, why are your disciples not, not doing the law? Like not fasting. Why aren't they doing it the way it's always been done? Why isn't, and people are starting to feel uneasy. Jesus is doing something totally different, totally new. 
He's spending time with sinners. He's healing people. He's doing things that the law did not, but he did not come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill it. But the people are confused. But I don't know about you. I struggle with things that are new too. When things change, right? When something's different than what we expected. Like, can we pick a seating arrangement in this auditorium already? Like, can we do that? (laughs) Things that are new. I remember when I graduated high school, I was excited about college, but it was a new thing. It's something that was going to change. And I actually like broke out in hives, like nervous about going away to college. I was excited, but then I also tried to like still try to hold on in my old ways. Me and some friends would be like, let's go back and visit our high school, you know, teachers. And you go back in the building and try to go back to your old life and it's weird, you know? The teachers aren't in the same room. Your friends aren't there. You know, something new requires getting rid of the old things, right? Maybe it's like this, like you got married or I don't know about you, like you thought everything in your marriage was gonna be exactly like it was before. You're like, yes, we're best friends. It's gonna be amazing. It's exactly like it was. And then four months in, you're like, what? I didn't know this new life wasn't going to feel exactly like the old one. Or maybe you have a child and all of a sudden your wife just looks differently, not necessarily physically, but like there's something different and you're like this new life and you found, you're like, I didn't know she was going to change too. You want your old life, even though there's something new happening. Or maybe you're the husband and you're like, I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to still like stay out to the bars till midnight now that we have a baby. I'm keeping my old ways in this new life. But the thing that we need to know today is a new thing requires getting rid of old ways. The new thing requires letting go of old ways. We try to take our old ways into our new life. But once something new happens, you can't go back. You can't put it back. You can't put it back to the old life that you had before. It reminds me of this time that Brad calls me. It's like four or five years ago. He calls me and he's like, what did you order? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, this box shows up. He's like, it's like a cube, but it's like really, really long. Like, it's like, I don't know. Like, and I'm like, how big? What are you talking about? He's like, I don't know, like a six by six cube. And it's like really, really long. And two of them. And I was like, I ordered a mattress. How? He's like, there is no way there's a mattress that fits in this box. And I was like, it's a mattress and a box spring. He's like, there's two boxes. I was like, he's like, there is absolutely no way that this is a box spring. Like this box is like tiny, you know, but then he opens it up and he like cuts it open. And it's like, mattress. And he's like, and the other one's a box spring. Yes. The other one. Okay. Box spring. Right. Something new opened up and there's absolutely no way you can put it back in the old box. You cannot put it back in the old box. So we try to do that in our lives. And this is what is happening. Jesus shows up doing things different than people imagined, different than they thought. In this part of the gospels, he is on a healing rampage. And not only healing, he goes up to a paralyzed man and he's like, you are healed and your sins are forgiven. And the religious people are like, what? Only God forgives sins. It's something new, something that made them feel uneasy. He begins to ruffle some feathers. He comes along and he's hanging out with the lowest of lows and the sinners. And right before this, in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, he says that 
Levi, who is Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisee and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly that Jesus, to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered. Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not the, not to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus says, I'm not doing it the same way you always thought. Jesus opens up this new way and you're not going to be able to put it back into the box. And he wants to do the same in our lives. He wants us not just to have a better life, but a new life and a new relationship with him and a new revelation He wants you to have healing, physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing. He wants you to have a new moment with him. He is our redeemer. He restores relationships. Everything God wants for you in your life is good, but it's going to require letting go of old ways. I want to point out at the end of the parable that we read, it says no one who drinks old wine seems to want the new wine. The old wine is just fine, they say. The old wine is just fine. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, we know the old wine is not fine. The old life is not fine. But there's some of us that don't have that relationship with Christ yet. And you're saying, it's fine. You know, my marriage is fine. You know, work is fine, right? You haven't tasted the goodness of God and the new wine. You think it's fine. Like, I'm just going to stay right here. You know, it's like when, you know, you always just have Rafferty steaks and you're like, it's fine. But then you're like, Jesus is like the Stony River steak. You're like, oh, okay, that's a steak, right? Or like, you're always going like on vacation to on like carnival cruise lines. And those people that are like Royal Caribbean, they're like, Shh, you don't even know. Real, like, don't go on carnival no more. That ain't fine anymore. It's like, you believe that it's fine. But God wants abundant life. God wants you to have a new life. God wants you to have amazing things here on this earth. And C.S. Lewis said it this way, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant to, to the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Some of you are like, it's fine, because you can't imagine the holiday at the sea, the infinite joy that Jesus offers. We are far too easily pleased by mud pies. But he came so that we can have life to the fullest. But do you feel like you have that? Like you have abundant life? Like you have a joyful life? Like you have unexplainable peace That's his promise. Like, even in trials, you have unexplainable peace. Do you feel that way? I don't know about you, but I want to make room for that, for a new thing. But it will require getting rid of the old ways in my life. And the first thing that I want to point out is that the people that are asking the questions and the Pharisees and the disciples of John are missing the purpose of the fasting, It says that they show up and they're like, why aren't you fasting? Why aren't you fasting? And Jesus is like, we should be feasting. 
So you have to remember the purpose behind what you're doing. Fasting was a common practice in ancient Israel. It was for people to seek God, to get closer to him. It was a sign of mourning. But they're missing the point. They don't know the purpose. The purpose behind it was to get close to God, but God's standing right in front of them. He's standing right in front of them. And they're missing the point. Stuck in their religious practices, they forgot the purpose behind what they were doing. This kind of reminds me of the story of like Netflix and and Blockbuster. Like both of them, the goal and the purpose is entertainment. But Blockbuster forgets that, right? And they just go on like, we think the goal is to rent movies from a building. Netflix is like, the goal is entertainment. So we forget why we're doing certain things. They forgot why they were fasting. It was to seek God and God is standing right in front of them. Our traditions, our rituals can keep us from a relationship with Jesus. I read this story this week that I want to share with you all. It kind of like helps clear up this point. It says, a young couple happily married is celebrating their first, Christ- or first Thanksgiving together. The bride wants to cook her husband his, her family's classic turkey recipe and ask her mother for the recipe. Her mother sends her recipe to, to the woman and she cooks it to perfection. Even the breast meat is perfectly tender and juicy. However, at the end, her husband says, Darling, where are the legs? I always like those the best. They're on the side, she tells him. She picks, he picks around the bird and, and seems to still be confused, so she points them out. He asks, but love, why are they shaped like this? I don't think that drumsticks are supposed to look like this. They're all squishy. She says, in the recipe, you take off the legs, take out the bones, and cook the meat on the side. He still doesn't understand, but the turkey was very tasty, so he leaves it be. The next day, the woman calls her mother and says, so, Mom, about that turkey recipe, why do you take the bones out and cook the rest of the meat on the side? Her mother says, hmm, I don't actually know. Your grandmother just always did that, and that's her recipe, so I just do it too. The mother and grandmother are having a pleasant brunch one morning, and the question of the turkey comes up. Oh, all right, says the mother. Ma, I gave my daughter, your turkey recipe, and she asked about the turkey legs. What about them? The grandmother says. Well, why do we cut them off, take the bones out, and cook the meat on the side? The grandmother burst into laughter and said, I did that when you were a kid because my pan was too small to fit the whole turkey. They did something out of tradition but never questioned why, why they were doing it. You have to know the purpose behind it to figure out what that is. The truth is God doesn't want us to live by a formula or a routine or a tradition. He wants us to live in relationship with him in a beautiful, loving, ever-changing relationship with him. Their duty at this time was not to fast and mourn. It was to feast and celebrate, but they forgot the reason behind what they were doing. The Messiah was here right in front of them. They were so set on tradition, they were missing the point. Jesus is not putting down their practice. He's challenging their blind tradition. The things that we do out of routine and tradition aren't always bad things. I grew up um, like saying a bunch of different prayers and just a repeat after me type prayers. Or um, actually one of them was the Our Father. I used to pray the Our Father all the time, you know, like every day almost, especially when we were in church and recited the words and words and words and words, but like didn't get the point. 
didn't know the words behind it, the purpose behind it until much later after salvation. And now I read it in scripture and it says, yes, your will be done, Lord. Yes, yes, I I take that. I receive that. Yes, God, help me to forgive others and forgive me of my trespasses. But it took me saying, let me look at this tradition and this routine and figure out the purpose behind it. The thing that has helped you seek out God can be the very thing that's halting you from its presence right now. The very thing that helped you seek out God can be what is keeping you from experiencing his presence right now. He doesn't want you to live in a memory. He wants you to live in the moment. He is always doing something new. And we might miss it if we're stuck in a routine, in a tradition One generation's revelation is the next generation's tradition is the next generation's rebellion. We always have to be asking God, like, what is the new thing that I need to be doing? What is the new thing that I can take away from this? And it kind of like doesn't always, like I said, doesn't always have to be bad. I, um, four years ago, we moved into our new house and I had this closet in the basement as my prayer room. I would go in there and I would pray. My daughters were about, they were three and six at the time. And I would pray and I would write out my prayers and I would go in there and I would read them and, you know, and just praise God for those and everything. And so my prayer closet for that season was amazing. But now I spend most of my time praying in my daughter's room so that they can see what it's like to talk to Jesus. So they can be a part of it. So I could have stayed praying in that room, and that's not a bad thing, but it became routine. It became a tradition. But God says, I want you to do this in front of your children so they know what it's like to talk to me. Most of the time they fall asleep. So it's not like, so let's not over-spiritualize it. It actually is a good, you know, sleep tactic. I pray very boring, I guess. But it was one of those things that I had to like ask God to help me to change because I don't want to fall into a routine or a tradition. So my question for you is, are you living according to a plan or a routine or a formula? Are you letting God's spirit do something new in you and preparing you for divine moments that you can have with him? Are you fighting for the very thing you should be fighting against? Have you forgotten the purpose behind the things that you are doing? Don't follow blind tradition. Figure out why you're doing them and ask God to help reveal something new in you. So we want to make room for a new thing. We have to remember the purpose. And and then we also have to recognize when we're patching something. It says that Jesus gave them the illustration, no one tears a piece of cloth from new garment and uses it to patch the old garment for then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. In the old gospels, it actually says that the new patch kind of like makes a bigger hole. Like it's worse. Don't patch something that God is trying to make new in your life. Don't patch something that God needs to make new. Bob Goff says, don't put sod where God is planting seed. He is way more concerned about what is growing in you than looking finished and polished. Patching something like God's amazing grace onto your like existing religion. Like, okay, I received that, but like, I still need to like try really hard and do things this way. Patching his love and his value You're like, God loves me, but like, I also have to earn it. I'm just going to patch that right here. Maybe you're taking a new revelation, a new relationship with God and trying to patch it onto your old life so you can look polished. 
We have a moment where we receive something, and we, but then we remain living the same way as always. And we can't figure out why it's working. We think, well, just take this patch, put it on my old life, and it'll be better. But it says it's actually worse. The tear gets worse. We have to let go of our old life, our old ways for God to do something in us. A new revelation plus the same lifestyle results in bitterness and shame. You have this new moment with Jesus and you keep the same life, you will only feel bitter and shame. And that is not transformation. You hear that it's God's grace alone that saves me and I get it, I got it, I receive it put it on my workspace religion, this patch. I got the grace, but I also need to like still try really, really hard. That doesn't work. That's not transformation. That's not freedom. That's patchwork. But we aren't the only ones who struggled with patchwork. It's all throughout scripture where, you know, things like Moses, he gets this, you know, he hears from God he's like, I'm going to free people from Egypt. And then he goes over here and like try to do it on his own. That doesn't work out, right? He's trying to patch that together. Or like Peter, who after Jesus leaves, he, he's like, okay, I received that Messiah. Like Peter is like his biggest, you know, follower or whatever. And then he goes back to fishing, goes back to his old life. And Jesus shows up and is like, how's that going? Is that going good? Come on, Peter. You know? But we are like that. We do that too, Jacob, Abraham. But if you stay in your old ways, you never allow or make room for God to do something new in your life. You never allow for him to do something new. He wants you to have abundant life in revelation after revelation after revelation, but you can't patch Jesus and his love onto your old life. You have to embrace the process. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst in the wineskins, uh, burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wine skins. You have this moment, you feel like you have this brand new relationship with Jesus and you feel his presence and it's tangible and you're ready and you're full. And then all of a sudden you go back into your old life and it feels worse. And you're like, what happened? What happened? That is what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't put new wine and new revelation into your old ways, your old wineskin. In ancient times, wine was made by walking barefoot on grapes, walking barefoot on the wine press. And it says in a circular path in the middle, there was a rock and you stepped on the grape so that the juice would come and flow into the middle and underneath the hole, there was a vase that would collect the wine. So it would store, it would start in fermentation process. So they would take the wine, pour it through a cloth, like a purification process for the wine. And then it would sit there for about a week and begin the first process of fermentation. Then from there, it would be, you would take goat skin, pour the wine into the skin for the next two to four months. And the second process would begin. While this was happening, the carbon dioxide gas would do its work and it would be expand the wineskin. The flexible wineskin would begin to expand to its limits so it couldn't extend, expand anymore. Jesus was referring to this wineskin. He says, you don't put new wine in old wineskins because old wineskins are brittle and stubborn <laughs> and inflexible and you can't put new wine in that so you think of the wineskin as your life, your experiences, maybe your religious background or the way you see the world. But God says you can't 
put new wine in that because it will combust. Maybe there's habits in your life that aren't flexible. Maybe there's things in your life that need to change. Old wineskins live for self. Old wineskins control. Old wineskins try harder. Old wineskins live according to stereotypes. They're inflexible, but new wineskins live for God. They trust. They live in freedom. They live in newness of life. They live in a motable and flexible state. The wineskins are made out of goat skin, sometimes pig skin. The wineskin represents our life. In order to have that, something had to die. Something in our life might have to die or, lose or get rid of in order for you to have the new wineskin ready for God's new wine to come inside of you. A habit or a sin or a relationship, letting go of something Bitterness, anger. Only the Holy Spirit knows what it is, but I love the relationship between the new wineskin and the new wine because the wineskin is affected by the wine. The wine helps the wineskin expand. But they also have this relationship together. As the wine changes, so does the wineskin, and almost they work together to mold into this beautiful project, product. And then you know what happens after you bottle wine up, once it's ready, the creator, the winemaker puts its label on it, puts its name on it. So when you let God transform your life and change maybe the way you think or change something, let go of old ways, you become this beautiful thing that God says, you are mine. You are mine. That's transformation. You know the process is, is successful when the wine, is, wine skin is flexible. There's power in the wine, but there's growth in the wine skin. But the process can be sometimes painful. I read that it was like pressing. The wine is pressing in order to get the wine out, the good stuff out. You're pressing. But then it comes back for a second pressing. So there's experiences in your life that God is like pressing out of you. There's something going on. Maybe you're feeling pressed right now. Or maybe you're feeling like, I thought I was past this. Why do I feel this way again? It's that second pressing, the second process. It can be excruciating. It can be scary. It can be hard. But God is producing something out of you. And if you're ready, to go away from the old ways, he's going to have something, a beautiful project or product from the wineskin. And maybe it's something like how Jacob ended up, like he wrestled with God and he was changed physically. So there could be something that changes in you on the outside, on the inside, but it takes a process of maybe wrestling with God or maybe like Joseph, it was 20 years. It was 20 years through this process. It can take time and it can be painful, but let me give you some hope. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse eight through 10, it says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we, what? we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. 
there's hope and a new life with Jesus, that you're not on your own. You have him right there with you. You have his promises in your word. And I don't know what you're going through and I don't know how hard it is, but I do know that you have this new wine coming inside of you and it's gonna take walking away from your old life and that can be hard, but you have a helper. You have a helper. As I close, I wanna tell you, there are two metaphors that wine represents in the Bible. The first one is the Holy Spirit. And the second is the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He is the new wine that is within us. He is the one that redeems us and restores us and renews us. As you are allowing God to do something new in you, it can be scary. But can I tell you, you won't combust. Because you have the Holy Spirit, Second Corinthians says, we ourselves are like a fragile clay jar containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit within us. A spirit-filled life is a full life with full access to God. A full life with full access to God. But maybe some of you are like, I don't really feel like I have that, like I'm missing something. There's like a disconnect. Like I hear you or I see other people having these moments and I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I feel like there's a disconnect. And I heard once that it was, it's kind of like you receive this credit card in the mail and you get it out of the envelope and you take it out and you got it. You got this relationship with Jesus, but what do you have to do to use the credit card? You have to activate it. You got to ask God to bring the Holy Spirit into your life and activate a relationship with him. A relationship with God requires the Holy Spirit an activation moment. And the second metaphor that wine is, is the blood of Jesus. Jesus sat down with his disciples at the last supper. It says, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus broke the religious spirit on us with the promise of a new covenant. This wine represents new life, new relationship, a new promise It represents the sacrifice that he made for you. And the disciples, they receive it. They receive the wine. Why? Because they knew they needed it. They had left their old life, their old ways behind, and they were like, I receive that. So my question for us is that have you accepted the sacrifice that God has made for you? Put your old ways behind your old thoughts, the way you viewed the world behind and said, I received that. Because he wants to pour something so good in you, this new wine in you, so sweetness in you. But he wants you to be ready because we are not meant to be bottled up. Because once he pours into us, we get to pour out into others. We get to turn around and pour out into others. So are you ready to let go of your old ways? so that God can have something new in you, letting go of your old traditions and routines or letting go of your old habits, your sins or 
your old life to say, God, I want something new through you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you didn't call us to live a life that's just fine. God, I pray for anyone in the room that has never experienced a life with you and they don't know what they're missing out. But God, I pray that their hearts are softened towards you to know that you have something so sweet and so good for them. God, that you have this new relationship, this new life, this new power that you want to give them. God, that you just help them to see that today might be the day that they commit their life to you, God. God, I pray for anyone in the room that feels like they're patching their new understanding, their revelation from you onto their old life. God, I pray for transformation. God, I pray that they believe that you can transform their lives, but it will take them walking away from their old ways. God, that you want something bigger and better for them, God, but it may be painful, but you're right there with them through the process. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is our helper, that is our guide. God, I thank you for your sacrifice that you made on the cross so that we can receive a new life in you. In your holy name we pray, amen.